She saw. I am Corey. And I am Keith. And we love movies. Just not the same ones. So each week we make each other watch a movie that we love. But the other would never watch unless we were doing a podcast together. And then we talk about it. So for those of you who were listening last week, uh, you know that the movies we were supposed to do were Weekend at Bernie's and The Crow. But unfortunately, there was a, a tragic accident yesterday on Alec Baldwin's set. The director of photography, Helena Hutchins, and Joel Souza, if I remember correctly. He was the director. Uh, unfortunately, she was killed and he was hurt. So with what happened on the set of The Crow, we felt yeah. it was just, it would not be in good taste to do these two movies at this moment as we were figuring out what's going on and out of respect for everyone, for the, everyone in the, and especially the families involved. Because you can't talk about The Crow without talking about that. About their accident and as I, well. I wasn't ready. I'm not ready for that conversation. Yeah, especially as we <laughs> don't even know really what's really, really happened yet. So Our hearts definitely go out to our hearts, Our hearts and our prayers are going out to anybody who is part of the family. So with that... So we just decided to uh, kind of... Uh, Keith really wanted to get back into the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, uh, he really wanted me to see... Thor, since that's what's next. Now, we're not going to watch every MCU movie, but uh, I, I like the movie a lot. I feel like it's the only true Thor movie when it comes to people who actually collected the comics. But And so we were trying really hard to figure out something opposite of that. So Yeah, so Natalie Portman is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, So we're going to see The Professional. Uh, no. We're not watching Attack of the Clones, are we? Because I just cannot watch those early Star Wars previews again. Yes, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Natalie Portman is typically not my favorite. However... You are really selling this episode. <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie a lot. And that movie is Garden State. <sighs> and it has uh, Zach Braff, which was the first reason I saw it. And, and it's got uh, uh, Sarsgaard mm-hmm. is in it. And actually... Oh, I think there's a Sarsgaard in Thor, too. Sarsgaard. Sarsgaard, yeah. Sarsgaard. It's gonna the be one s- that married Maggie Gyllenhaal. Peter Skarsgård. Uh, no, it's, I don't think it's so. It's not Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think the father is the one who's in Thor. So. Well, the father in uh, in Garden State played Jack the Ripper in From Hell. Oh, that was such a bad movie. Such a good comic. One of the best comics. I literally can right? argue that it's one of the best comics of all time, but the movie was just, oh my gosh, bad. I liked that movie. <sighs> because A, Jack the Ripper. B, Johnny Depp. But anyway, I think didn't Zach Braff direct this one? He wrote it. Yeah, it's like in the midst of Scrubs or like at the tail end of Scrubs where it's like Star was the highest. Yeah. And um, no, it, it was a it was a good movie. I, I remember I've seen it several times. It's got an independent flair to it. And then you get to watch Thor. Mm-hmm. Are you sure we can't watch Adventures in Babysitting and We've... Vince as when Vincent D'Onofrio was Thor? That I I love that movie so much I wish I could pretend that I didn't like that movie so we could watch that movie and see the two Thors. Such a good movie. Let's watch Garden State and lift the mood. Woo! <laughs> okay, well, we have uh, finished Garden State a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. We're a little behind. Life has been a hurricane in the past couple weeks. Yes, we apologize. Um, but you know what? It's yeah. 11 o'clock, 13 p.m. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we're let's do this. All right. So, Corey, what did you think of Garden State? Did it hold up? I was definitely the target audience mm -hmm. when I first saw it. I love Zach Braff. I, I'm not much of a Scrubs girl. I don't want no Scrubs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love Peter Sarsgaard in this movie, even though he's not the most likable character. And uh, this is where I met Jim Parsons, actually. Oh, you met him. Nice. No, I haven't met him. But this is, uh, it's funny, when he started on Big Bang Theory, I was like, oh, that's the guy that was in garden state and the music is like normally we all know that i am not a music person i mean i like music mm -hmm. i don't have a wealth of knowledge about music mm -hmm. but i really did like the soundtrack of this movie and i felt like the music was really helpful in telling the story so yeah i felt like the soundtrack was really a bit on the nose for me but um, which is funny because I'm I I also like music, but <laughs> I, I literally I don't know what it's called, but I think I have like a syndrome when I listen to music and like lyrics, I have the hardest time making out the words. I just can't. It just it's just like musical notes to me. I, I have no no illusion that I actually know <laughs> song lyrics, but uh, you don't. I don't. <laughs> But even I was like, okay, this is like a hat on a hat on a hat. It's like, I got it. So, so yes, I, I definitely, uh, did you ask me if the movie held up? Yeah. You did. About 10 minutes ago, but yes. <laughs> it's okay. It still held up. Well, good. I think so I'm thankful that I got to watch it again. Now, am I thankful I got to watch it? That is the I question of this review. We'll we're see. about to find I out. I don't know where this is heading. But um, I bet you have a pitch for me. I do have a pitch and for you. And I bet you're going to roll the name of the movie into the pitch. Hopefully as the last phrase. We'll see how I do. Wow. I've noticed a, a pattern as of late. <sighs> my old PR day is coming back. So the, here's my pitch. <laughs> A talented but struggling actor takes stock in his life when he meets old friends and a quirky new girl when he returns home to the Garden State. There it is. Boom. One of the things I love about this movie is it kind of reveals information as it's going. In a way, it's kind of like Memento in that like the scenes are going mm -hmm. and they're interesting scenes, but the, you don't have all the exposition mm -hmm. that you really need to understand the scene. If you're like, okay... I really want to see this movie. I would highly caution you to hit pause right now. On us. Go watch the movie mm -hmm. and then come back and listen to this. Because, again, I think a lot of my enjoyment of this movie, the parts I did enjoy, was out of that type of writing. So I agree. It's like a peeling an onion. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the exposition like happens and then you go, wait, what? oh, that was... That just flew by me. Yeah. Oh, that was important. That was... That, oh, okay. Okay. Five scenes ago now makes much more sense. So... <laughs> So yeah, so the movie starts with Andrew, who's the main character, played by Zach Braff, on a plane going down, having some sort of turbulence, emergency, something or other, but he's strangely calm. And I love the song that they used oh. in, in, it, in, in that scene. Evidently, there's a song that I missed. He's so calm, I'm like, it's like, okay, that's probably a dream. And sure enough, it's a dream. He just kind of opens his eyes. Oh, you're so smart. You guessed it. To, uh, <laughs> he wakes up unstartled, though, to his dad leaving a message on his answering machine saying, hey, you know, they really needed to talk. His mother just drowned. And so he needs to come back for the funeral. So Andrew has no real reaction to this. He's just, everything's very white. And he's just like very... His, his room is like, his sheets are white. His walls are white. He's wearing white. Everything is stark white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He opens up his medicine cabinet to what Steven Tyler would probably say is a lot of pills. <laughs> like there is a lot 
uh, like a wall of orange prescription bottles. He kind of is, is kind of sleepwalking through life. Did you notice the lighting in these scenes at all? The blue tones. I didn't. I'm I'm not a lighting buff. I avoided it in college at all costs. I did one time spend an entire day hanging lights for a student show that I was in, and a wrench fell on my head because I'm an idiot, and I put Aww. it at the top of the ladder, and then I moved the ladder, and the wrench fell on my head. <laughs> I really enjoyed the blue tones. It made me feel blue, like he was just kind of blue. The character is going to change over time, and I'm guessing they probably went from blue to orange, probably, and I just don't know enough to know. So he goes to his job as a waiter at a Vietnamese restaurant where no one is Vietnamese. And it's an upscale Beverly Hills Vietnamese and restaurant. And his boss is yelling at him because he's late again. And, and um, a bunch of other actors with headshots that would be willing to take your place immediately yeah so th- this is one of the parts that doesn't age well i mean he has to put on like mascara to like appear well, to be the, more vietnamese and the the, the waiters or the busboys are carrying like the the yolks with the water pails yeah that doesn't age well whatsoever no. cut to him basically coming home to new jersey for his mother's funeral um, but he's standing apart from it so we're not even sure if it's really the right funeral. You can't quite tell. Again, yeah. he's kind of out of sync with he's everything around him. <laughs> Afterwards, he kind of walks up to these two grave diggers who are about his age, just starts talking to him. And these are people he went to high school with. Mm-hmm. And so they're happy to see him. And they say, hey, there's a party tonight. You should come. <laughs> uh, we go back to the house, which always is awkward. The reception at a house after the funeral. Yeah, and so... We didn't even have one for my grandpa because we just didn't want to talk to anybody yeah. or eat. I, I don't understand people who have wakes. I'm an introvert, though, so... Yeah, and it's, it's <laughs> kind of like a... My worst nightmare. You know, as much as a funeral should commemorate the, the person who just died, I mean, it, it's for the people who are living. Yeah. And so, you so know... leave me alone. Yeah, so, so for some families, it makes total sense. But anyway, they're awkward... <laughs> No matter what. Yeah. And so Andrew's <laughs> awkwardness on top of it is just super awkward. And we have the the iconic scene where he has an aunt who I love her so much. helped to redecorate a, a bathroom, which evidently was a big deal. And she basically used some of the wallpaper, I guess, to make the shirt <laughs> or somehow. Like a cloth wallpaper. But she, she goes, I made you something. It's a shirt. Will you try it on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same it's made out of the fabric left over from the bathroom remodel. Yeah, because she doesn't want to have to do any. It's going to be hard to, for her to do alterations, and so, <laughs> so he needs to try it on right. So now. it's already kind of weird. But once we find out who Andrew is, it, there's a there's another angle to that where it's like, oh, <laughs> that might have been why she was being so weird and wanting to make sure he had it had the shirt. So well, and then so he goes in the bathroom and tries it on, and he blends into the wall. Yeah, and it's funny. So. Visual joke. We have a, a conversation with dad that is just incredibly awkward and is and Andrew's kind of trying, but not really. There's obviously these this huge weight in between father and son. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I just I'm getting these shooting headaches that are very short, but they're very painful. And so the dad immediately is like, oh, OK, well, I'll, I'll talk to someone in my building and they'll see you tomorrow. So we're like, oh, OK, we don't know what dad's job is yet. Right. But it has something to do with medical. <laughs> and then and he makes the comment of, uh, hey, it's nice that you could come out here. It was nice that you could fit it in. And I was like, ooh. Yeah, there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of coldness between the two of them. And yeah. again, and the movie really kind of avoids it. Yeah. So uh, for a while. Like they avoid each other. Yeah. <laughs> Since that conversation went so well with his dad, he goes into the garage. <laughs> 
and sees a World War II motorcycle with a sidecar. And he gets, I think for the first time in the movie, gets a real smile on mm-hmm. his face and jumps on it and is going to go to this party. So we're riding the motorcycle. We're and he, speeding. We're speeding. It's a World War II motorcycle. He's not really speeding, but he's probably <laughs> technically in speeding. In residential area. Yeah. And so he gets pulled over by a cop who he's yells at him. Screaming at him. And he's like, all right, okay, whatever. And it turns out the guy's just messing with him because it's yet another high school friend of his in that conversation we find out that this cop thinks that andrew's an amazing actor he's like oh yeah you're a big deal in, in hollywood and so andrew's like oh thanks call them the de niro. yeah i call de niro. you I, I i call you the de niro so he gets out of a ticket and shows up to this house party which is that's a house party of people who are kind of in the mid-20s it's mm-hmm. kind of it, it's better it's than not a college party not a college party you know there's like a keg and yeah, and so he, he sees the gravedigger friend again. Mark. And, uh, and Played by Peter Sarsgaard. Other people start being impressed that he's there and like, oh my gosh, it's good to see you. And in that conversation, we're hearing, okay, regular people know that he was good and he was an actor in something. So we still don't know exactly what's like going people on. people that he doesn't know are, are asking him questions. Yeah, when he kind of like walks. to recognize him. Yeah, when he walks in the room, even the people who don't, you know, people kind of notice him when he comes in and yeah. stuff like that. And so he goes into the basement because we're in New Jersey, so everyone has a basement. And we have. I don't know what that's like. Ah, they're so awesome. I can't even imagine having any amount of space. Really? Oh, I wish so badly that they uh, make basements here. In the kitchen at the same time, one of us always has to. So we're in this basement, and we meet another friend of his from high school who's super excited, and he's like, "Yeah, I invented silent Velcro, and so I'm rich. I've got a mansion." And he's like, "Oh, okay, cool, all right." And then there's a little bit of pause. Andrew says no to coke, but someone gives him, I think. Probably ecstasy, I don't know, some sort of pill. Kind of within his friend group there as well, there's two girls. And like one of them is probably 18 or 19. (laughs) But for me, it was a little uncomfortable. It was like, dude, really? And he even makes a comment. He's like, oh, is she even even legal? And he's like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) and so he takes this pill and he's now even more out of it than normal. I really liked the camera effect, how he was sitting frozen and life was happening and we kind of fast forward around him and he was just like sitting there because he's out of it and then now he's on ecstasy so he's doubly out of it yeah there, there there's several moments that are kind of had on the hat so if you haven't at this point realized he's out of sync with the rest of the world this scene is like hey <laughs> he's, out he's out of sync with the rest of the world and so we have this you know so a spin the bottle game is happening and one of the girls jumps on his laps and gives him a kiss and you know and he just kind of passes out and then he wakes up not while they're kissing not while they're kissing. The kiss happens, and then we have a little bit more spinning. Because just in case you missed it, he's out of sync with the world <laughs> around him. And so he kind of wakes up in the living room. And he, as he kind of wakes up a little bit, he has the word balls on his forehead. Because <laughs> he, he fell asleep at a party. He kind of looks over, and in the kitchen is a man wearing a full suit of armor. <laughs> and so cereal. he goes over to the kitchen and kind of pulls up a chair, and his friend Mark is there. And the, it's Mark's house. Because it's going to be, we're going to find out pretty quickly. But again, this movie doesn't really tell you stuff. No. You just kind of figure it out. So he's at breakfast with what appears to be Mark. And the person in, in the medieval knight armor is... Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons, who does a great job with this. 
who appears to be like a little brother, and then also lady who's a little bit older than them, who is Jean Smart. Jean Smart. So looking looking pretty as always, but looking a little like a mother. Like a mother, a little <laughs> bit on you know, kind of you know, life hasn't gone her way totally. So, mm-hmm. and um, she's picking her life back up though. Yeah, so she's trying. Mm-hmm. She's trying, and she's trying to help her son Mark out and trying to make it go right. She wants him to do real estate classes. Yeah, all those realist, horrible real estate tapes, which are basically multi-level marketing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Within this scene, it's a great scene. Mm -hmm. It slowly revealed that Jim Parsons is not the younger brother, (laughs) but he is a knight at the medieval times, like one of the actors who plays in the tournaments on a horse. And we also find out that a horse isn't the only thing he's riding. Whoa! Because he is also in relations. With Mark's mom, Jean Smart. And again, I'm not a shaman, but there's a definite, you there's know. A big, well, he could be her she, son. Yeah, he could literally be her son. And he's her son's friend. Yeah. Are they friends? <laughs> Actually, no, they weren't friends, They were, but they were classmates. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's funny. It gets really uncomfortable. There's some Klingon, and eventually Mark it just doesn't flip the table, but basically has had enough. And in a silent rage. In a very pleasant tone, basically says, and you need to leave this out, or I'm going to kill you. And so Jim Parsons understands and gets the heck out. Andrew's like, oh, my gosh, what time is it? Because he's late. So he has to go to his doctor appointment. And so he shows up to the hospital. As he fills out this paperwork, um, there's a scene with a dog, which I won't go into detail on. But essentially, (laughs) it cracks Natalie Portman up, who we're going to find out her name is Sam. And she's over to the side. And so they have a conversation. It's not not really flirting. Talk about music. We finally find out for sure. Andrew was in a TV series where he played a quarterback with Down syndrome. She recognizes him. So she's, and that's why she's part of the reason why she starts up the conversation and just awkward. And she's just like, I love that show. And especially the last episode, it just was amazing. There's something off with Sam though. You're not quite sure, but there's something, you know, like she's socially awkward. She's socially awkward. And she, she admits to lying pathologically. She like immediately tells him that she's a pathological liar. Yeah. And so she's there to like pick up a friend. So, so she's not crazy, but yeah. yeah. So the nurse says, okay, Andrew, we can see you now. Hasn't finished the paperwork, but whatever. I'll, just, I'll let it slide. <laughs> and so he's like, okay. And then she looks over at Sam and says, and Sam will, will see you as soon as we're done with him. So it's like, oh, the pathological liar lies. So we get into the office of the, I'm guessing, neurologist. And it becomes clear as the neurologist is looking at Andrew's charts. He's like, <laughs> whoa. Andrew clearly, as we've already seen, is, uh, is heavily medicated, medicated normally. And we find out a ton of it is lithium. And the neurologist is kind of like, oh, that's, wow, you're taking lithium, is kind of the conversation that we have. And we we find out, finally, that Andrew's... And it's all prescribed. It's all prescribed. It's all above board. We find out that Andrew's psychiatrist, he's his father. And his father has been heavily medicating him for, obviously, for years. Yeah, decades. So Andrew's like, hey, I really want to wean myself off of this. I've stopped, I've stopped taking. I think he said all of it. He left them all in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, so the neurologist is that. Yeah, the neurologist is kind of like, "All right, um I I agree. You need to find a new psychiatrist that's not your dad. But you really got to be careful getting off that medication." After we're done with that, he has the motorcycle and is leaving and lo and behold, Sam is also done. She's waiting. And she's waiting for her ride, ride. and so 
awkwardly, he offers to give her a ride home. And so about halfway, he's like, oh, hey, by the way, I promised I would hang out with my friend, but I don't want to stay there long. So can you just go with me? And this will give me an excuse not to stay very long. And she's like, okay, really weird and random. He's like, we can make a signal. And she's like, okay, I'll, you know, pull my ear a little bit. Cut to outside the mansion. <laughs> the we have the, this guy who invented silent Velcro has a flaming arrow <laughs> that he's shooting up in the air. And they're all three running around like chickens with their head cut off. Like literally Trying no, no rhyme or reason. And it, Falls down a couple feet away from Natalie Portman's character. So Sam not subtly pulls her ear off. And so we, we go to we go to Sam's house. And again, she's adorable. So she's got a very quirky mother and you got a quirky house and they've got. And then you know that they're quirky because they have the plastic hamster tunnel all over the house. Yeah. And uh, they've got a Christmas tree that they just didn't bother to take down. No, just they got to a point and time to come around again. And, yeah, just and, leave it up. Um, I really did like her mom. She her was, mom was very sweet. I thought she was lovely. Yeah, she was very sweet. And she's like one of those moms who like, she becomes mom to everybody. Mm-hmm. One of her, one of the hamsters has died because they couldn't figure out the wheel. And <laughs> Sam had forgotten to take the wheel out. Even, And I'm like, how do you even, how does this even work? Like, what is the... Well, judging by the pet cemetery they have in their yard, oh my gosh. they're not good at pets. Yeah, so it's not like <laughs> not like Stephen King it's pet cemetery. The There's cemetery. no like real gravestones. There's little rocks, and and to be fair, she says a lot of them are goldfish. <laughs> so in the midst of this burying of this hamster or gerbil, this when Andrew kind of opens up, she's like, "Well, what are you doing home?" We not only find out that yeah, hey, I'm here because uh, my mom died, but this is the first time we hear that his mom not only drowned. But she was also paraplegic. And so, again, that just kind of, this movie just kind of drops information once and I'm like, oh, and that totally informs what happened before it. And you're like, whoa. That adds a whole other angle to like everything you've seen up to that point. Uh-huh. And so they have a, a moment of connection, end up going to a bar, and that's where Sam starts to open up. And we find out that she's epileptic. Andrew also kind of is explaining that in general, things were going great in LA, but he shot to fame as a Down syndrome quarterback. So he's kind of typecast. So he's, mm-hmm having a hard time finding other roles to play and friends show up. And so we end up at the mansion guys place again and we're at a, they're all going to jump into a pool except for Andrew. Who's a little nervous. He obviously can't swim. It so is he, the funniest scene in the movie because he is just like flopping around. He's like, trying to act normal. And yet <laughs> like this is normal. <laughs> But he's yeah. trying not to drown. Everyone's looking at him like, you okay, bud? That just gives another chance for our young couple to have some more talking in the, in the, shallow, the end. shallow end. And so from there, we see the inside of the mansion, and we see there's no furniture. Oh, gosh, no. And so... He's not going to furnish it. Yeah. He drives and, golf carts from room to room. Oh, my gosh. Which is, by the way, what I would do. I totally would not. <laughs> so his friends were like, hey, you were there in high school, and then you just, you were gone. Andrew is like, well, yeah, I mean, one thing you guys don't know about me is I'm the reason why my mom was paraplegic. Everyone's like, what? Their dishwasher was broken. There was a a bad latch. And so the door kept flopping open even when they didn't want to. And so he was like nine, mad about something like a lot of nine-year-olds get and, and, you know, younger. And was just like, if they're angry, they just kind of push. And so he just pushed her like a nine-year-old would. But for whatever reason, she caught off balance and she hit the 
um, hit the open door of the dishwasher and she broke her neck. I don't know if it's just not the strongest of scripts or if it's just an unreliable narrator. But basically we find out that they kept they kept treating him for like kind of anger problems. And his dad really was trying to do a lot of medication to help control that. Mm And so they eventually decided to send him to boarding school at 16. By the time we're kind of done with this conversation, we have just him and Sam by the fire. And they basically are like, we like each other. And then, of course, so, of course, Sam needs to tap dance because that's what Zoe Deschanel would do. So next, we're at Andrew's house again. Mm -hmm. And this is his last day. So he goes over to Mark's house because Mark says, hey, I've got a a present for you. You Mm -hmm. need to come over. So he goes over. He doesn't have a present. He doesn't have it. He needs to like basically like I just need you to drive me over because I need to I just, need to, I just need to find it I need to track it down. What? what? And so he's like, ah, okay, this is clearly important to you, but I I told Sam we'd hang out today, and he's like, I'll bring her. <laughs> so he wants to go on a wild goose chase. So we go on this wild goose chase of like four different stops, and you know it's very like what is going on. So as we're on this wild goose chase, it ends in this kind of like chasm place. And it's starting to rain just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, where are we? Yeah. And why? And we get to a house that is built like a boat. So it's like literally like looks like an ark. Just in case you weren't sure that the biblical slash deepest part of the movie was about to happen. So we have a conversation with a guy who's nice, who's like got a wife and they've got a little kid. And he's there basically to do security, which is hilarious because he is like the most unsecurity pe- person you would think of. It's very, very hippie. <laughs> this movie in many ways is kind of going to kind of define hipsters. And he's very much he's got a sweater that he probably knit. And he talks about the importance of family and how like, you know, they're kind of like, why are you doing this, man? He's like, it's something that no one's ever done before. So we have all this kind of like philosophical and like, yeah, man, this is deep. Tea. And yeah, we got tea. Mark gets a package from this guy. We go outside and Andrew's like, okay, well, what is this whole thing been about? Mark presents his gift to Andrew, which is Andrew's mom's favorite pendant. That she was wearing. That she was wearing when uh, she was being buried. And so perhaps the most amazing thing in this movie makes no sense. But the most amazing part of the movie is how it makes you for a second just go, oh, that's very thoughtful. (laughs) Mark's like, yeah, it really belongs with you, not with her. And I'm like... You robbed your friend's mother's grave. (laughs) And so with all this existential thinking that's been done, Andrew needs to climb up a crane that happens to be there. And he yells into the abyss, just kind of the hopelessness of man. And just like, what's the only thing? Screaming into the void. Yeah, all we can do is scream into the void. (laughs) You know, it's the only power we really have in this life. But it's therapeutic because it's like, that's the thing you can do. Uh, Sam gets up there, Mark gets up there, and all three of them yell together andrew looks over at sam and plants a big kiss on her cut back to andrew's house andrew and sam are in the bathtub that his mom died in it's drained and then they have another heart to heart heart heart. andrew has his first tear and 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 uh sam is like oh let me get a dixie cup this is so important and then of course we go to the bedroom and we and we make love okay just don't say it so yes and then uh, we don't see that happening. We just see the them wake up, him wake up later. Him wake up, not an X-rated with a lot movie. of clothes. Yeah, no, no love scene. So he kind of wakes up, she and so over. yeah, so post coital, 
Um, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to my dad. So he walks over and basically has the talk. He's been avoiding this whole movie. He draws his boundaries with his dad. Yes. He's like, look, I, I, I don't feel guilt about what happened to mom. It was a stupid mistake. It, didn't have, it had nothing to do with me. It was just an accident. Someone made a stupid latch. And it sucks that it happened, but it happened. So look, we're not okay. You aren't prescribing anything for me anymore. I'm not taking the meds. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get help. We're going to work on our relationship. And that in itself is okay. We need to be like kind of basically real with each other. The next morning we're at the airport. He basically has the I'm leaving talk with her. She's really kind of sad. And he's like, well, no, don't cry. It's like, you know, it's not a period. It's an ellipse. I just need to work on things. Yeah, I'll be back. Well, on one hand, I'm like, okay, technically they're both adults. Technically, is what he's doing bad? Well, he obviously has some stuff to work out, but he's kind of treating this like a hookup, like she isn't that important to him. Well, we know that he's out of it and out of step with the rest of the world. Well, but maybe he's just focusing on the wrong thing. Maybe he's like he's he's like so focused on on what he needs to do that he didn't think about. He treated this like. I'm going to fall in love with you. I like you. I like, you know, and not I like you. It's like, I love you. You, I let you into my existential plight. I've met your mom. We, we've established our innermost secrets. It's like, and basically told her she's the most important thing in your life. And then you're just imprinted and you're just going to take off to LA. You're kind of making him sound like, like Mr. Swagger. And I feel like it more comes from a place of, like I said, he's, he's, I think, feel like he he got himself into this and he didn't really think it through and he's out of step and he's out of it and he's just coming like back into realities coming into focus and I don't think he thought about that and so that's what's happening I I just I just made him sound like a sleazy guy and I think he well it is it is a sleazy it is a sleazy move he basically in a way just kind of kind of used her to kind of work out all this angst he was feeling because at this point of the movie he's he's much different than he was at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. he seems to care for her I it's feel like he just doesn't know what to do next like what's the next right thing to do i guess go back to la because that's where i live to at least well, he's, tie you know, up loose ends. and if you're gonna do that you know you gotta define the relationship like make a concrete plan like make a concrete plan it's like, like i'll be back in july yeah i'll be back in this many months you know, and we're going to, but he kind of left it like, Hey, you're special to me. I guess I gotta go. So he goes. And so Sam is just a mess. And then suddenly Andrew runs up and is like, okay, that was stupid. So I'm like, okay. So he redeemed it. Yeah. He fixes it. Yeah. Still. I think that's why I think what I think, because he does go, wait a minute. What am I doing? So he's like, okay, that was stupid. You are really important to me. You've helped me so much and I don't want to spend any more of my life without you. And so they have the, the proper romantic kiss and like, okay. So he's like, okay, well, what do we do next? Blackout. Blackout. So, um, and that's, then that's the movie. So, yeah, so there were, there were a lot of good things that I liked about the movie. I loved how you never had all the information. And that is usually movie death. <laughs> it felt a lot to me like I was on some sort of cognitive drug or something, like how I wasn't like quite there. Like I had, yeah, I was a bit out of it. I was, I was still there. Yeah. But I was out of sync as well because we were out of sync because of the information. information. Yeah. So so I really like that. This is probably one of the first movies that really nailed the 
quarter life crisis that Gen X made in vogue and it's been happening to everybody else ever since where it seems like because of social media, there's all these people who have it way more together than me and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm trying to figure this out. I thought Zach Braff was was really good in the movie, rel- relatively one note, but again, it fit his character. Natalie Portman, yeah, there was not a better actress to play Sam. When it comes to the things I didn't like the, about the movie, there was a lot of good acting, but it was still like acting, if that makes any sense. For someone who probably started writing this like in his mid-20s, it's, it's pretty decent. You know, especially for a, a low budget indie. Well, to direct it too. Yeah, and to direct it, you know, he did a he did a pretty good job. There yeah. were some clear like, again, it, sometimes it felt kind of like tacked in, and like that was my thing with the soundtrack too. Is it's like, oh, we can do this song and then this song well, and then. You know, he won a Grammy for the best compilation album for a movie soundtrack. He won a Grammy. Yeah, that's. Did I say Grammy? Yeah, I don't. I don't think you said Grammy enough in that sense. Yes. So, and the music was decent. I didn't have a connection to any of those songs i had heard several of them before but i was just like oh okay yeah that's what hipsters were listening to i just felt like he was just like they might not have gotten it so i'm gonna add this song to me it was a little bit like in basketball when he's like driving the car and he's like listening to a song and the song like starts describing his life like exactly but yeah so and then when the first scene nally portman clearly has some sort of processing issues going on which isn't a negative thing it's just some people process differently. And then as the movie kind of progresses, I saw less and less of that. Mm. I would have rather that she had that issue like all the way through. It kind of felt like everyone thinks I'm a dork because I've got glasses. And then the next scene, she rips off the glasses and you're like, oh, okay, you're perfect. One really big thing that I I think was kind of a weakness of it was that I would prefer that, hey, if you're going to talk about mental health, let's really talk about mental health. What I would have preferred is not that he had played someone with Down syndrome. I had a hard time believing that somebody who could do that effectively wouldn't be able to cry, wouldn't be in touch with their emotions. Mm-hmm. I would have preferred he had played a character who was very detached. Because that's what he is. Because that's what because that's what he's dealing like with Data with these from Star Trek or whatever. Yeah, or like it, it doesn't have to be sci-fi. But like to me, that's a much more interesting story because it's like I'm special because I'm just so detached and flat and then if he's realizing i can't process emotions and i know i'm having a bunch of issues because there's a whole bunch of other stuff happening to me then that becomes a much bigger question of like well do i well the stakes are higher for getting off the drugs yeah because then it's do i choose my own personal livelihood and and joy in this life if it's that character meeting sam who has her own issues that to me is much more high stakes and interesting Mm -hmm. of a story i think if they had done it that way then you're kind of moving the conversation forward. One of the things I did like was the understanding of Andrews never leaves the idea of saying, look, I need help. But I would have liked to have seen more of that help in there. And the concept of, gee, I'm just going to go cold turkey off of lithium with no side effects. (laughs) That was some of the things that I think were kind of weak points of it. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this movie? or I remember now that I, like I said in the beginning, I kind of had a connection with this movie when it came out because I was in my 20-somethings. I actually had a, a level of anxiety my entire life and I don't know how much of that was like natural anxiety or how much of that was learned anxiety. Mm-hmm. Or situational anxiety. Right. But in general, I could kind of keep it a secret. Why are you being so quiet? Because I'm freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) So I could kind of keep it, keep it quiet and keep it hidden. But I was married to somebody else before. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're married to someone, that's really hard to keep 
your level of that anxiety like a secret. And he was not the most patient or understanding of that. Mm -hmm. And so um, he basically like hauled me into the doctor and was like, put her on something, you know? And and so I kind of felt the connection with Andrew. Do you want to hear my final analysis of this movie? Yeah, that would uh, be good. If I wanted to, I could be really annoyed with this movie. <laughs> A lot of the characters are doing dumb things and yeah, it's kind of self-absorbed and blah, blah, blah. And, but there was no avocado toast in it. That's true. Uh, which I don't think was a thing at that point. But yeah, I really kind of look at it as this kind of like a younger brother. If you look at those characters in that way, then I think a lot more of it makes sense. And yeah, do they make a lot of dumb decisions and are they kind of weird? And yeah, but they're also in their mid twenties. Yeah. I feel a lot of kind of grace, especially it being his first script and directorial debut. To me, it's one thumbs up because there are some good things Mm -hmm. definitely in it. And the other one is, a, I was, I'm going to give him a pass and give him a thumb in the middle. Okay. You know, not everyone's going to be Tom Hanks and write that thing you do with their first vanity project. You know, he wrote a really personal story, which sure has some issues, but it really kind of captures that point in life. And so, yeah, so I thought it was a good movie. I look, I look at this movie with fondness. So okay. thank you for, thank you for having me watch it. Radio Shack plays a very heavy role in all of the MCU movies. Uh, I wish I could <laughs> decline that observation. But yes, I think that pretty frequently Radio Shack does seem to come up. Are you ready to dive into Thor? Sure. Did this movie hold up for you? I still think it's a good movie. Watching it again after not having watched it for a decade, it is much better than it, than it could be. Thor is a very hard character to translate to the screen. Mm-hmm. Out of the three Thor movies we've seen so far, this is the best for the comic book character of Thor. We've seen or you've seen? I've seen. Okay. <laughs> so Thor Ragnarok by far is the most popular out of the Thor movies. Uh-huh. However, that character is not really the Thor of the comic books. Got so it. whereas I see that it's entertaining, I'm still like, yeah, that's not Thor. So it's actually Hercules from Bob Layton's Prince of Power miniseries so in the 80s. I'm just going to say, we and Wendy keep Richter it tight. We and the WWE. Okay, I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> so, would the answer be yes, it held up? Yes, yes. It's not <laughs> as good as I thought it was, but it was good. Okay. All right. Would you like to hear my pitch? I would love to hear your pitch. I think you're going to like this pitch the best. A headstrong warrior is exiled to Earth, but will he learn his lesson and become worthy to hold his hammer once again? Question mark. Very good. I didn't spoil anything. So first, before things start, we, of course, have to have a history lesson. So in about 900 AD-ish, the frost giants from, and I spelled all these things uh, phonetically, just so you know, from Jotunheim, which Mm -hmm. is a race of people who wear the same outfit. They do. Don't you think it's interesting? It's like when you look at a race of people, like you're wearing Mm -hmm. something different than I'm wearing right now. But whenever it's like a race of people in superhero movies, they all have the same outfit. They do. Like the outfit is like part of them. Which is really funny because it's a loincloth and nothing else, yet they live in snow. They live in like the snow and ice. Well, they're made of snow and ice, I think, because they're called frost giants. No, but okay. They turn turn their arms into ice uh, knives. They create daggers out of ice that form in their hands, and they create maces of ice outside of, but it's not not their hands. Their their bodies are made of it. Tight! (laughs) 
But anyway, that was an observation I made that I felt like I needed to bring up. So they're attacking humans in Norway. They're, like, freezing everyone with their their uh, ice knives. <laughs> their ice butter knives. And they have a, a cask of never-ending never ending winter. So they can, there's this freeze ray they can, they can shoot out to everybody. Fun. Like in Frozen. Uh, so Odin and the Asgardians show up to fight this guy named Lofi, who's mm-hmm. the frost giant king, to protect the nine realms, which I guess is like all the planets and galaxies in a certain area of the cosmos. Anyway, you don't have to answer right now. I could. So they defeat the frost giants and take the blue glowing casket, and I have casket in quotations, and I had to look up what it was, the thing mm-hmm. that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is the forever winter, like mm-hmm. in Frozen. Hmm? Elsa? Wow. <laughs> They take that from them, their power source, and I guess make a truce, which I don't know how they make a truce if they've stolen the casket, but it's okay. You don't have to answer. Mm-hmm. Present day uh, in Asgard, not in, I guess on Earth too. I guess Earth and Asgard have the same, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to it. Present day. <laughs> this is going well. Thor is literally one second away from being crowned king of Asgard. Like his dad's literally saying, I now crown you k- and then an alarm goes off, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we find out that the frost giants have shown up. Just a couple of them. And they are trying to steal the casket thingy. But this uh, guardian, like, robot, I guess? Uh, I'm going to call him Flamethrower Face Guy. But his name's Destroyer in the comics, but okay. Flamethrower Face Guy. Well, okay. because his face is a flamethrower. Yeah. And so he flamethrows the, the frost giants and, and stops them. Mm-hmm. And so then the casket glowy thingy is safe. But this interrupts his coronation day. This movie is really like Elsa. Have you noticed this? I didn't before. <laughs> so Thor's all mad. And Odin says, let it go. Because he's... <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, my mind is blown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, Thor's yeah. all freaking out about it. He wants to go to war, but Odin basically is like, let it go. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want to start a big race war with the frost giants and mm-hmm. all that again. Thor can't let it go because he hears the call of the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> so Thor sneaks away with his brother Loki, this badass warrioress named Sif. Correct. And uh, the Warriors 3. Exactly. Or as the humans will later refer to them as Xena, Jackie Chan, and Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, it's, Fandral looks a lot like Robin Hood. <laughs> Hogan is Asian, so a bit racist. Yes. And then that Mrs. Volstagg, who is a Santa Claus with red hair fighter dude. Uh-huh. So they somehow convince Hemdall, and that is also spelled phonetically, mm-hmm. uh, the gatekeeper, played by Idris Elba. One of the best parts of the movie. Totally. To let them pass into Jotunheim and start some shiz that they are absolutely not able to finish whatsoever. So mm-hmm. fast forward, Odin shows up and saves them and tries to do damage control. But mm-hmm. they're basically screwed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, basically an w- act of war. So. Right. So Odin is so furious that he strips Thor of his powers, takes away his hammer, and banishes him to Earth. And he puts a spell on the hammer that only the worthy can lift it, and he throws that down to Earth as well. So evidently Anthony Hopkins improvised the depowering of Thor. Really? Yeah. They just let him go for it, so that's the one that they used. So a quick comic geek moment. It's one of those things you have to get right. So what Odin whispers on the hammer is, Whosoever holds the hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Cut to New Mexico. 
We have astrophysicist Dr. Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, with the plainest Janest name I have ever heard, which I don't know if that's a comment on her character. She's just plain Jane or whatever. Pretty much, yeah, originally. So she was a total supporting character. So they had to change some stuff here. But yeah. yeah. Well, and I would argue that she's still very much a supporting character. And she would agree with you. <laughs> uh, we have Darcy, played by Kat Denning, mm-hmm. and Dr. Eric played by Stellan Skarsgård. So we were doing some sort of experiment, uh, like atmosphere reading in the middle of nowhere, and they see this event, I guess. And so it's like a weather event or an atmosphere, I don't know, an event. So they head toward it and accidentally hit a person with their truck. The person that they hit is Thor, and he uh, seems to be on PCP. (laughs) He's just Mm -hmm. yelling for his father and yelling for, yeah, just the trio somehow drops him off at County Hospital, where he begins to wreak havoc and declares that no one can defeat him while he is being knocked out with sedatives. In the meantime, uh, the locals have found the hammer, and they have turned this into a tailgate party Mm -hmm. with Stan Lee, little cameo in it. Um, Jane realizes that uh, she should probably talk to this hulking stranger since he seems to have come from the event that they witnessed. She's been studying wormholes. Mm-hmm. And so she has been seeing these events, which might be the creation of wormholes on Earth to be able to travel to other parts of the universe. And so when she's looking at the picture of this of the event that they were taking pictures of, she realizes this stranger was in the midst of the event. The Einstein-Rosen Bridge. There you go. So she's like, I really need to go talk to this guy. So they show up to the hospital, but unfortunately he has already escaped. But luckily she hits him with her truck. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Which was funny. So they take him to a diner where he eats a box of Pop-Tarts, a pile of pancakes, and a heap of eggs. Mm-hmm. And he expresses his appreciation of coffee by smashing the mug and yelling for another. Mm-hmm. To which Jane scolds him for that. So then they overhear the locals talking about the sword in the stone tailgate party. Because they were all trying to lift the hammer. Like the sword in the stone. Mm-hmm. Thor takes off to find Meow Meow. <laughs> as Darcy calls it. <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. This, this, Would so, you like to tell me what it's actually called? Yeah, it's Mjolnir. Mjolnir. I just wanted to say that mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen anybody else in the Marvel Universe that would be better portrayed by you or you probably are most connected to mm-hmm. than Kat Denning's character was, of Darcy I was, I was in this. I Yes. Uh, Darcy, actually. So the, um, <laughs> yeah, so the name of Thor's hammer is going to be pronounced Mjolnir, but she's like, meow meow? Meow meow, which I'm going to call it meow meow for the rest of this. There you go, <laughs> which you should. That's the reason I should be playing this part. So Jane wants to help him, but Dr. Eric thinks he's a kook stick, and he begs her to let it go. Ah! ah. <laughs> so she reluctantly parts ways with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gonna walk 50 miles due west because that's what he heard. That's what yeah. he heard Meow Meow was at. So, meanwhile, Shield has shown up and gotten wind of Meow Meow and has constructed an ET style tent city around it, complete with hamster tunnels. Exactly. Another connection. It's so weird how that keeps happening in these movies. We keep yes. getting these connections that are just random. <laughs> Uh, they also stop by Dr. Jane's headquarters and sees her equipment and basically all traces of her life's work. And that's when she yells about how she can't just go to Radio Shack and make this equipment that she made herself. Yeah, everything I know is in that equipment or in this notebook. And then they take the notebook. It's like, why did you say that? Yeah, very funny. So with no other options, Jane finds Thor uh, trying to acquire a horse at the local pet store. (laughs) (laughs) I need a horse! Mm -hmm. Oh, we have dogs and cats and birds. Well, get me a big enough dog to ride. (laughs) (laughs) 
he agrees to tell her everything that she wants to know, and she commences to giggle like a schoolgirl mm-hmm. a lot. Yes. It's kind of ridiculous. She would agree with you. And pathetic. And she would agree with you. <laughs> Natalie Portman would? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So meanwhile, back in Asgard, Loki learns that he's actually Luffy's frost giant's son, and mm-hmm. that Odin found him abandoned in a temple and basically kidnapped him, I guess, because he takes him back with him hoping to bring the people together someday. And Loki lets Odin have it, which causes him to go into an Odin sleep, which I wish I could go into an Odin sleep when people yell at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Thor breaks into the E.T. hamster tunnel city, and he proceeds to defeat all the agents that come at him, and then he gets to, to Meow Meow. But he's unable to lift it mm-hmm. when he's taken into custody. And Agent Coulson, which he calls... <laughs> Cole's son of son, son of Cole. Son of Cole. <laughs> that was funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Questions him, um, thinking he's some kind of assassin or soldier of fortune. And then he leaves the room for a minute and Loki appears to Thor and tells him that their father is dead and that he has to stay banished on Earth because uh the the terms of this truce and his mother, played by Rene Russo, by the way, mm-hmm. um, forbids him to return. Yes, so the Prince of Lies lies a ton. So Dr. Eric, uh, who at some point has picked up a children's book of Norse mythology and kind of has been reading it and showing mm-hmm. it to Jane, and they keep kind of seeing connections, and they're like, are we nuts? Is this? Is he nuts? What's going on? He shows up and somehow convinces Agent Coulson that Thor is just a distraught scientist who got drunk and went crazy, and uh, they let him go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was it's... like, what? Coulson is not buying it at all. But he wants to see where it's going to go. I was going to say, is so, he going to see where it's going to go? Well, it, it, it's funny because he says he's Donald Blake. So in the comic books, mm-hmm. when Odin sends Thor, he sends him into the body of a lame scientist, uh, a lame doctor to teach him humility because he needed to learn mm-hmm. humility. Oh. Once he's learned sufficiently. So not banished forever. Correct. That was the whole point. And, and that's why with the hand, he sends a hammer after him. Is like, this isn't banished forever. This is once, once he's learned ready. his lessons, once, you know, he's depowered him. But given him kind of a way to. Yeah. So he, he can come back, but he can come back once he's learned his lesson. They let him go, but not before he uh, swipes one of Jane's journals that had been confiscated in the raid. So they go to a bar afterward and Dr. Eric, who we learn is kind of like a father figure for Jane, tells Thor that Jane's got the hots for you. And uh, he makes him promise to leave in the morning. Mm-hmm. So Thor gets him drunk instead. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and brings him back to Jane's Airstream trailer slash living chambers where they spend the evening on the roof and he tells her all about the nine realms and the bridge and she's like an Einstein Rosen bridge and he goes no a rainbow bridge to which I would argue a circuit board bridge <laughs> so he basically says that her theories are right mm-hmm. she just doesn't so he explains how it works yeah she doesn't she's getting pieces of it and so he's thor's like no you're you're right and he starts to explain it as an as guardian what as as guardian children are taught uh-huh. which before he was like i was like well how does he know this is he an astrophysicist in asgard no it's just <laughs> but i it, guess it's part of the lore. that's what he that's what he says as he says like what you consider magic we call we call science and so when we're little so he's like this uh-huh. is you know, they, they, so they're schooling whatever it is. You know, in elementary school, it's like, okay, let's learn about Einstein Rosen bridges. You know, Got and they it. just. Meanwhile, in Asgard, Loki has taken the throne for himself and he bullies Hemdall and he visits Jotunheim to make a deal with Lofi to kill Odin in his sleep. And he refuses to grant the request of Sif and the Warriors Three to bring Thor back. So they sulk and they're talking about going to get him anyway. And Hemdall 
summons them because he heard them talking. I feel like Hemdall's more like the god character than Odin is because it's like he sees and hears everything. Well, in it's the, crazy. Well, in, in the myths and in the comic, Hemdall has some form of omnipresence where he can basically look anywhere throughout the known universes, throughout the nine realms. So he's kind of like creepy Santa Claus with a sword. So he summons them to the Bifrost Bridge. Bifrost Bridge sounds like some sort of like Iceland, like ice, ice. Baby. (laughs) It sounds like permafrost or whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stop it. So not appreciating Loki's bullying, Mm -hmm. he tells them, hey, you, I can't send you to Earth to retrieve Thor. And then he walks away and they're really confused, but it seems that he has left the car keys in the ignition and that allows them to start it up and do it themselves it's a very excellent analogy thank you i'm just trying to make it accessible to the people so sif and the warriors three land in new mexico and they're marching down the street uh to jane's headquarters and everyone's kind of like looking and (laughs) Mm -hmm. the two seconds later they show up and they're like found you (laughs) there are definite moments of silliness in this movie they tell Thor that they're they're gonna bring him back and uh in this conversation Thor realizes that Loki's lied to him and that his father is still alive so Loki finds out uh that Hemdall allowed them to leave and so he fires him by turning him into an ice sculpture and he instructs Blowtorch Face to go after Thor on Earth and to destroy him. Blowtorch Face shows up in town and proceeds to destroy everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and again I just, these movies when everything's just getting destroyed, I'm just like, someone has to clean that up later. Thor, Jane, Darcy, Dr. Eric, Sif, and the Warriors 3 start evacuating the townspeople. And Thor walks right up to Blowtorch to speak to Loki, which I guess Loki can hear him through Blowtorch or Mm -hmm. Loki has omnipresence too. Omniscience. So he begs him to take his life instead of destroying innocent lives. And so Blowtorch bitch slaps him and walks away. And so Thor is laying on the ground with a very big bruise on his face. And uh, Jane runs over and starts touching his bruised face. I'm like, don't touch his face! He's bad! <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so Thor, having just proved himself worthy, regains his power. Meow Meow returns to him, and he defeats Blowtorch Face. Yeah, it's a really cool scene. So he's just lying there, and then out of nowhere, the hammer starts going crazy. Mm-hmm. And then start and flies to Thor because he's proven himself worthy. So he is worthy. And he transforms back into his former glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Jane's like, is this what you really look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Giggling again, like a silly girl. Yeah. So the Asgardians prepare to go back, but Thor promises that he's going to come back and show Jane the circuit board bridge. Hemdall, uh, they keep yelling for him, and he's like stuck in the ice. And so he br- bursts out of the ice sculpture, and he brings them back. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile... Luffy and his uh, frost giant gang show up and because the plan is they're going to murder Odin while he's in Odin sleep. Mm-hmm. But they find out that they have been tricked by Loki because Loki kills them instead. Because this whole thing has been planned by Loki so that he could win favor with Odin and become king and destroy Jotunheim and the Bifrost Bridge. Yeah, so he could be the master of the Nine Realms, yeah. So Thor shows up and fights Loki, and uh, I thought this was pretty funny and very, like, sibling rivalry-ish. He pins him down with Meow Meow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally something I would have done to my brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One time my brother, he was irritating me, um, and he was on his bike, and he went down the driveway, and I had a broom in my hand. Oh, no. <laughs> so I stuck the broom handle in his spokes, and he flew over his bike 
Yeah. And got like one of, I don't know, 15 concussions that oh. he sustained. No, I mean, it was only one concussion from me. <laughs> My poor brother has had so many concussions. Oh. <laughs> now we've been made to physical assault. So. <laughs> Probably should look at the statute of limitations of that he one. He was fine. He's fine. I think he's fine. <laughs> so what, what's happened is, is that as part of his plan, Loki has opened up the Bifrost Bridge. And they, we established earlier that if you just keep it open, the power of the Bifrost Bridge can destroy a realm. And so mm-hmm. he's in the midst of just the... He's destroying Jotunheim. So the bridge is, is destroying Jotunheim. It's like a laser at Jotunheim right now. And so Thor is just like going to try... He, he's kind of like, I don't, what do I do? What do I do for a moment? So then he grabs Meow Meow and he starts destroying the bridge so that it can't blow up Jotunheim. But this also cuts off the way to Earth forever. Supposedly, yes. Supposedly. So Odin wakes up and he tries to save his boys from falling into... I guess there an abyss was... I didn't understand this. I read this. An abyss, an abyss was created when he destroyed the Bifrost Bridge. And so Loki's about to fall into the abyss and he's holding on to him. So at the last moment, we learn that Odin is not very proud of Loki's behavior. And Mm -hmm. so Loki decides that he's just going to let go. Mm -hmm. And he falls into this Cosmo abyss. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I guess kills him. And I was like, well, it's like Cosmos. It's like the abyss. Like, where where would you go? Loki's already established a couple times throughout that he can go to different realms without the Rainbow Bridge, without Hemdall seeing. Because he tells Hemdall, you know, there's other ways. So it looks like he's killing himself, but he... But he shows up in a bunch of He's only in other, like, six other movies and has a whole miniseries after him. Thor and Odin make up, and Thor realizes that he's he's not ready to be king yet. Mm -hmm. I'm just not ready to be king. That's true. <laughs> so Thor visits Hemdall way too close to the edge of the circuit board bridge. And he asks him about Jane. And Jane continues to search for him. And then in the post-credit sequence, mm-hmm. guess who shows up? Sam Jackson. Yep. He's got the blue cube from Captain America, which I guess they retrieved from the ocean. Mm-hmm. And he, I guess he's recruiting Dr. Eric, but Loki's also there. And I was like, well, is he disguised as Dr. Eric? Is he controlling Dr. Eric? Is Dr. Eric going to become evil? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, what they, <laughs> what they pretty much do with Iron Man 2, Thor, and I don't remember what the cutscene is for Captain America, how that leads directly, but in Iron Man 2, the cutscene was Coulson saying, by the way, we've, we've had this hammer show up in yeah. New Mexico. So at the end of the Thor movie, they're like, hey – Here's this blue cosmic cube. Yeah. So that sets up the cosmic cube, which is which is brought up in Captain America First Avenger. And also Loki is gonna have is gonna be the main villain in Avengers. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually setting up both movies with one cutscene. But okay. we didn't at the time we didn't know that. Props. Yes, lots of props. Lots of props. So I am just blown away that Kenneth Branagh directed this. Mm-hmm. I think just because of all the special effects. Like mm-hmm. I was just trying to think of like your job as a director. And he's not really known for, like, making movies with, you know, this much special effects. He's known for directing Shakespearean epic mm-hmm. dramas. So I did see that part of it because it is, I guess it is, they're gods, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's North, Norse mythology. Well, so. from, what I, from what I understand how it works, and some directors like this and some directors don't, is that they try to find just really good directors, period, mm-hmm. who are really good at movies with relationships. Uh-huh. 
and then they already know this action set pieces. That's when they get the writer and the writer and director kind of create. Those comic properties were impossible to translate. So they're trying to figure out how to translate into a movie that mainstream people like. So if you got something Shakespearean epic, who better than Kenneth Branagh to try to translate Thor to? Yeah, and I did... he did a good job yeah i thought you did too you know i'm a sucker for the cosmos and space and galaxies and i thought it was gorgeous i just i love the production design of asgard it's kind of weird because it's like the circuit board bridge is beautiful it was weird it was like a mix of like star wars buildings and then like lord of the rings like mountains and then like mount olympus like god-like you know stuff so i was Mm -hmm. like kind of confused about asgard because i was like Okay, well, if they're gods, they don't need, like, mechanical Star Warsy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like, elevators and, like, whatever. It, it's explored more in other movies, okay. so, but, yeah, I, I thought... I was a little confused by the world, but I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I think it's a really good translation. And I don't understand the mechanics of the Bifrost Bridge, but it looked cool. Yeah, I'm not supposed to. <laughs> but, yeah, I just... The cosmos were absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, oh, wow. I wonder if that's what it really looks like. My favorite character by far is Hemdall. He's just so like forbidding and menacing looking. And I think, I mean, Idris Elba's got a really deep voice uh, to begin with, but I feel like they may have deepened his voice just a little bit and made it more like, I don't know. It was just so like menacing, um, but that he has a heart of gold and a little bit of a sense of humor. There, there's actually a huge controversy when Idris Elba got that because obviously Africans aren't in Norse mythology. And so there was a huge backlash. Oh from certain people who felt like it really had to be a white character but Idris Elba just absolutely yeah I can't there is no other person on this planet I think that could have played that yeah as well feel so good (laughs) (laughs) Idris does have that have that effect especially on women so yes Uh, my second favorite character is Mm -hmm. of course Darcy oh yeah I wish I could have played Darcy I was surprised by the funny moments they had some funny moments like when he kept declaring that no one could defeat him Mm -hmm. right before he got defeated Mm -hmm. by by sedatives and uh what was the other one i don't remember yeah Yeah, he gets taken down again and then he keeps getting hit by cars unfortunately natalie portman didn't seem to be allowed to have the gravitas to be a female love interest for thor Mm -hmm. i felt she seemed like a little girl most of the time Mm -hmm. and i don't think they developed the romance very well like they claimed that there was a romance there Mm -hmm. but they didn't spend any time on it it was not developed at all well i thought i thought they had some sweet moments they had some sweet moments and you know it's like it's really an epic romance yeah i mean where it where it kind of fails versus captain america which you've already seen you have that moment when steve rogers comes out of the machine and peggy carter can't help but touch the chest <laughs> look these guys are just in peak human like not even real human condition in in those scenes so it's okay to, for me to have that moment of like giggly girl oh, yeah. but peggy carter like composes herself and shows herself to be the equal to right. Steve Rogers. And where that in, never happens with Jane. Yeah, and Jane is like obviously really smart, but mm-hmm. she's just kind of like... She's kind of an afterthought character. Yeah. I just, it, it was a little too quick for me. I mean, a crush, yes, definitely. But mm-hmm. like them both falling in love with each other and having an epic, epic romance, I don't think so. Yeah. So it's funny too, because he, in the beginning, he's such a like Viking and then he kind of like mellows out real fast. Like he resigns himself to being an earthling really fast the transformation is very quick and again he does have a life-shattering moment like he does switch quickly he doesn't mourn yeah he doesn't he's he basically when he can't okay when he can't lift mjolnir Mm -hmm. 
you know, he has this great moment where he's just defeated. That's his shift. Kind of wished it was bigger. Yeah. But yeah. My other question was, if you were eternally lost by falling off this bridge, why are there not railings? That's a good point. <laughs> and and why a, is Hemdall standing so close to the edge? Uh, yeah. Good point. God. That just me. freaks me out. It's like going yeah. to a foreign country. Like here right. in the United States, we've got so many rails and <laughs> color of curves and stuff like that. When Other I, places. Don't fall off that. Yeah. When I was in Russia, there was this the Skyfari. <laughs> yeah. When I was in Yalta, uh-huh. there's nobody manning it at all. <laughs> you have to walk quickly. Like the machine will automatically open the door. You've got to get yourself in uh-huh. and it automatically closes behind well, at least you. At you don't know a snowboard strapped to your foot. You, if you mistime it, you're dead. Yeah. No warning signs. If you're stupid, you die. Like that was just. Well, it was like in our honeymoon. We we went to um we went to Mexico and we were gonna go visit Chichen Itza, mm-hmm. but someone had fallen off of Chichen Itza a little while before, so we couldn't go. Like climb, we wanted to climb, mm-hmm. so we ended up going to uh, Coba instead because oh. you could climb Coba. Yeah. Even though Coba wasn't as big or and, famous. And from what I understand, I don't think they do that anymore. Somebody really? Was, somebody was telling me, oh, no, you're not allowed to climb any of them anymore because too wow. many people have died. Yeah. Well, we, we you planked on top of uh, Coba. I did. I actually, on the on the place that you would be sacrificed. So I was planking, so I wasn't face up like you should be. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was on the ceremonial, hey, we're going to break your spine now so we can take your heart out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, anyway. Fun times. Anyway. Where was I? So the bridge. So um, this movie was crazy. I lost all sense of time watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because it's daylight savings time and every time's just screwed up anyway. But mm-hmm. I was like, it seemed to move really quickly. But then I was really, and I was really surprised when it was over. My other thing was, if Loki is Luffy's son, mm-hmm. why didn't he care that he was essentially kidnapped and... Loki ends up killing him. It is a big jump. What I didn't get is why he didn't try to save Jotunheim and become the leader because he's a frost giant. Of Jotunheim, because it's cold there. As, yeah, it you is. have to wear a loincloth. It's really hard to really dig into that too much and still keep it emotional. But I did like that scene where Loki was like, you know, what? why am I a frost giant? And Odin's like, well, I was hoping to bring peace to the realms. On one hand... I could see Odin saying, oh, look, this because they established that Loki's a runt, that he was probably just left there to die. Oh, is that why Luffy doesn't care about him? And so that's why Luffy doesn't care about him. because And Luffy does, might not even know that Loki is a, uh, a frost he giant. he probably has a bunch of ladies. So again, they, uh, yeah. A so, bunch of frost giants. So we do see. Frosties. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of frosty freezes. Yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> Wendy's frosty hey. freezes. Hey. See, I can do it too. Big frosty freezes need love too. But yeah, so we, we established that Odin found the baby abandoned right. in a in some sort of temple. And so as he was leaving, he probably came across this poor baby frost giant. So from Odin's point of view, it's like, oh, they have left this baby to die. I'm going to take care of him as and raise him as one of my own. And then that will show my benevolence. And, you know, also in one hand, show my benevolence. On the other hand, that's the right thing to do. And from Loki, he's like, on one hand, he kind of skips over the fact that his, although I guess that does explain why he kills Luffy so quickly at the end. Because Luffy abandoned him? Because Luffy abandoned him. But, you know, but Loki is like, well, why didn't you tell me? Why, I'm just another pawn for you. I'm not a real son. Can you imagine thinking that you are one person mm-hmm. your entire life and then find out you're the race that everyone hates? It's like Elsa, because she spends her life being this one thing and then... She ends up, she's actually a forest spirit thing. There you go. She's like one of the, I love, what's it called? 
In Frozen, the four, the fire, water, what's that called? The element. Yes, thank you very much. Our resident Frozen expert. Thank Our you. dramaturg, thank I'm you. Oh, okay. All right. So I guess it's time for my rating. Should I use Thor hammers? Sure. Bifrost, Rainbow Bridges, Radio Shack. What should I use? <laughs> I'll just use thumbs. We all know that this is not my type of movie. No. So one thumb will be in the middle. Okay. But toggling a little upward. Okay. And one thumb is going to be up because oh, I wow. thought it was beautiful, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It was entertaining. It mm-hmm. was funny. Um, I was confused, but I don't think I was as confused as I normally am. I remember the first time we watched this movie. You came in about 10 minutes into it. Your eyes were rolling back so far in the back of your head. I was like, it's okay. I, I, I went into an Odin sleep. I gave you the pat. And I was like, it's okay. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to watch this. So, and again, um, that... You know, the the whole thing about how it's a movie about a superhero, it's not a superhero movie. So. Mm-hmm. You got to understand the it's not to beat the villain. It's Thor's change of heart is right. the whole point of the movie. So yeah, it was a good movie to watch. I liked it. What's the name of the guy on the IT crowd? Richard Ayoade's character. Who's the other guy? Roy? Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. So I'm not going to have you watch Thor 2. However, Chris O'Dowd is in like the first 10 minutes what? of Thor 2. Okay, well then I so, will watch the first 10 minutes. And then That's you're, all you gotta say. And it's the highlight of the movie. Oh, okay. So The IT Crowd is like one of my favorite shows. If you haven't watched The IT Crowd, mm-hmm. let me just say they have an office golf. Well, anyway. thank you thank you for watching Thor. I know it wasn't your cup of tea or size of hammer. Or... It was not my smashed coffee mug. All I've got to say is in this movie, Thor and Jane did not finish each other's sandwiches. <laughs> and I think that's a moment lost. Well, we did it. Woo! Garden State and Thor. It's like a Natalie Portman double feature. It was. And she, in both movies, she's a little too young for for me. Yeah, and actually, Natalie Portman would agree with you that her hey, you character was. That. And Thor was too two dimensional, and she's two dimensional in Thor one, and she's two dimensional in Thor two, and so she evidently didn't even try to come back for the second because she wanted her character to be more, do more than just be like oh muscles, a prop, yeah, and say an occasional <laughs> to scientific let us know fact. She has muscles, which we we know. Yeah, and so she quit the MCU. She was one of the first people to ever do that, uh-huh. and then it was announced for the fourth Thor movie, possibly the last. She is coming back. Because her character Jane Foster in the comics ends up being worthy to have the power of Thor. Oh, she black swan them. Exactly. So she's coming back, coming back in, in Love and Thunder. I can't wait. As a as a and as she's a. Gonna have swan wings. Probably. Is she a swan in that? No, no. The, she does have the feathers on. The, she has the feather helmet okay, thing. Well, so you know it all comes around. Yeah, yeah, but you you know it'll be it'll be nice to see Natalie Portman be like kind of the same level as the other characters. So I know we were talking about that other movie that Zach Braff wrote and directed, mm-hmm. Wish I Was Here. Okay. I, I ended up paying the three ninety nine. You unwittingly came in and sat down next to me for the last, like... 20 minutes, oh, half hour. Oh, the, the saddest part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was interesting. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. It was definitely felt like Garden State 
part two. Mm -hmm. It was trying a little too hard in some parts, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is how this type of movie goes and this is how I act in this situation and these are the lines that I say. So Mm -hmm. it kind of seemed very like a boilerplate for Mm -hmm. that type of movie. Yeah, by the numbers. Yeah, but then at one point, but then it's like got, you know, it's got Kate Hudson in it, Mm -hmm. Mandy Patinkin, Mm -hmm. and Josh Gad, Mm -hmm. and... um. It's also got Joey King. And mm-hmm. so at one point, though, it was just like some like when you came in and sat down, it was just like, oh, it just felt like it had so much heart. And it was so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, of course, you came in right about the time where I started bawling my head off. The, the parts I saw, it was very <laughs> much kind of like Garden State and that like there's only so much we can do. Mm-hmm. So we only can do the best we can. <laughs> and so... And doing that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Ugh, I'm crying right now thinking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, again, a very strong-willed father that you can't make happy. Mm-hmm. But then reconciliation and, mm-hmm. oh, jeez. <laughs> yep. So, and then I don't know if Zach Braffs is actually like a father in real life, but he was such a delightful father in this Aww. movie. It was so sweet to watch. So... Yeah, it was yeah, that one was good. So I would su- I would suggest watching it. I mean, it is a little. You just have to be like, okay, this is you know, yeah. I'm trying real hard to somehow, make this movie here. <laughs> somehow, San Diego Comic Con is only twenty minutes away from downtown LA. But other yeah, than that, uh-huh. <laughs> with no traffic. With no traffic. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but anyway, Not so that's the... just a little treat for you there in you case go. you want to watch it. So what are we watching next week? We get to watch one of my favorite movies. Really? Yes. It's got Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorites, Kevin Klein. We will be watching the French movie, French Kiss. Nice. And then on my end, no, I (laughs) tried to watch it about 15 years ago and it did not go very well. Okay, well, it's going to go this time. All right. It'll go somewhere. (laughs) And I get to watch The Usual Suspects. I have no idea what this even is about. Like, I know it's about a, a, a bunch of guys. There are a bunch of men, <laughs> like 99% of Hollywood movies. It's a bunch of guys. It has a bunch of guys with the meteor rolls, so yes. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't even think I know who's in it. Well, Kevin Pollack is in it, who you know. Oh, okay. This is Stephen Baldwin's high point, I would say, Stephen in movies. Stephen Baldwin from, like, Biodose? Yes. Oh. He's in it. Uh, it introduced, it really, well, it really introduced Benicio Del Toro, who I think has San Diego Connections. And um, it is the tour de force of Kevin Spacey. It like is the movie which launched his career into being one of the premier actors for a while until we realized how creepy he was. And now he's been canceled. You know he was in Fred Claus, one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Yeah. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. And I liked him in it. So I'm just going to pretend like the character is different from the actor. There you go. Mm Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for listening to us this yes. week. We had a good time. I'm sorry that it took us two weeks to make this episode. We had a lot of uh, hiccups and roadblocks. And mm-hmm. and we powered through them all. So we figured <laughs> it out. So um, as always, please give us a like or yes. subscription or review. Please like us. And your uh, approval. Yes, please. Check out our Facebook page. Yeah, we've got, got some cool pictures that Corey's put together for us. I'll probably and... juxtapose uh, Thor with um, Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. Somehow. There you go. <laughs> Maybe I'll make a, you know, like I did with Matt Dillon uh, on riding Jericho with Tina. I'll nice. something like that. Yeah. 
If you haven't seen that, you need to go see it because I think it's hilarious. There you go. Literally found a picture of Matt Dillon sitting mm-hmm. with jeans and no shirt. We have a, an Instagram page. It's he saw, she saw pod cast, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, that's all I can think of. Yeah, we'll talk at you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>